Hi, I'm Victor Milligan. And I'm Jennifer Isabella. Your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. Today, we're joined in the studio with senior analyst Ariel Trzinski and Jeff Becker to discuss the member experiences in healthcare insurance today. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. Thank you. So let's start with what do we mean by member experiences so the audience is grounded in our language? Sure. So what I think, you know, when we think about member experience, and I think we should take a step back, right, and think about customer experience in a much broader lens. Um, so when I think about customer experience in the rest of our lives, right, when you do mobile banking, when you go to the store or you shop on Amazon, right, think about that experience and think about how that has penetrated into the rest of your life and into healthcare, right? So as you look at, you know, your health insurer and you say, I'm trying to find a doctor, right, or I'm trying to determine if something is covered, right, that experience that exchange that you have between your health insurer and yourself, right? That's the experience, right? And it could cross a multitude of different questions or needs for that member. And early on, you're bringing up a key principle here, which is the customer ex- the expectations are not necessarily set in healthcare. They're set Correct. in the best possible place and then carried over into healthcare in, you know, the big, with a big caveat, fairly or unfairly so, there it is kind of thing. Right. So a good way to think about this is really just in the very short time that we're going to have a conversation today, our listeners could pick up their phone, apply for a credit card, get that credit card approved. Thank you, finance industry. And then move right over to the retail industry and max that credit card out. Thank you, retail industry. They could then take um, all of those purchases and have them delivered to their home within 24 hours. So we're really seeing an on-demand culture springing up at the uh, in the industries that are operating to the left and the right of healthcare. And those expectations are coming home to roost in healthcare. And we're really needing to play catch up to um, dive into the divide between our capability of delivering care and the expectations of the consumers that are receiving that care and consuming that care. But are people today expecting that of their health insurer? Are those expectations here and now, or do is that anticipation of those expectations upon health insurance organizations? So I think I think they're here and now. Um, and I think that is, you know, we're talking heavily about health insurance today, right? But if you think about health insurance, right, that's enabling you to go and get services from a healthcare provider, right? And so when we think about our own data, uh, you know, 74% of consumers are interested in virtual care or have received virtual care. So they're looking to their health plan to say, what is covered, right? Who can I seek care from that is convenient, that's contextual, and it's going to meet me in that in-demand moment, right? So if I have, you know, a cold or we're in flu season, you know, it's, you know, that immediate care, right? And not having to think about getting off the couch and driving my car to then, you know, go get an appointment, which hopefully I can get a same day appointment, which the likelihood of that happening is low at a provider, Um, but also making sure that you find a provider that is in network so that your cost of receiving that care is also not exorbitant, right? And thinking about, you know, the proliferation of high deductible um, plans for a number of customers today, right? We have to make sure that we are providing those services as health insurers to build those connections for members. It's an interesting way you answered the question because you began a set of stipulations that a human being has to understand. Is it in plan or out of plan? Mm-hmm. Is it a PPO or this or that? In other words, I have to now know the language and what the yes. language means to me. I now have to understand the rules. There's so much being imposed upon the human being to understand how the health insurance runs its business. Is that part of the problem that has to get turned around? 
Yeah, no, it's a great question. I think you know, we've done a lot in the healthcare industry to try and improve literacy of healthcare, right? So what does it mean in terms of out-of-pocket costs, right? How do we define that? What's a copay? What's coinsurance? What's a deductible? Um, and so you know, many consumers still don't necessarily understand that, right? So they are seeking that advisement from their health plan to say, you know, am I eligible for this, right? And they want to find that in an easy way, right? We don't want to pick up the phone and stay on hold for 20 minutes to talk to a customer you know, service agent to find out if a virtual care service is in network or not, right? We need to be able to find that out immediately so we can get that care, right? We could get that care faster than waiting, you know, on the phone to talk to someone just to find out, you know, where can I seek care? Um, and is it covered? How much is it going to cost me? Right? We have to streamline that process. Right. And to build on what Ariel is saying, we still as an industry leave our consumers uh, very much to themselves, unguided uh, and unaided when they're making important clinical decisions about uh, escalating their own care. So they are very much at home managing chronic conditions and deciding whether they're going to uh, go to a local urgent care center, maybe go to the emergency department or, or wait it out until Monday and see if they can get a doctor's appointment mm -hmm. with their PCP. Uh, and they're making these very clinical decisions on their own, unguided. And when we survey consumers from a healthcare perspective, we hear time and time again that they want real-time clinical communication. They want guidance on finding uh, local providers that are in network and that offer uh, a financially sound solution to their problem. Yeah, just to build on that, so another data point because I love data, right, is, you know, looking at, you know, Google searches, uh, one in 20 Google searches today is for a medical-related question, right? So people are turning to Dr. Google, right? right? That is not the ideal source for information. Um, so how do, it's yeah. a little scary. It's a cry for help. Yes, exactly. And so, you know, as you see that demand and that expectation rising from a customer, right, how can you as a health plan be that trusted resource that is that guide that helps them navigate, you know, do I go to urgent care or virtual care or some other option? So clearly a huge opportunity here. Are there insurers today that are at the forefront taking advantage of this, understanding that, in fact, consumers are, you know, people are looking to Google for this type of information that they ultimately should be the provider of? Yes, yeah. I think a great example of this is Oscar Health. Right. So we have, you know, yes, you have the the legacy big insurers, you know, Blue Cross Blue Shield, you know, Cigna, et cetera, that are looking at how can they reinvent their member experience. But Oscar Health is an interesting you know, entrant to this market that said we're going to rebuild this from the ground up. Right. So from a tech stack perspective, everything is built on data and analytics, and that drives every decision that is made for a member. It drives how they think about their network and who they include in their network as well. So one of the key things about Oscar, which is a direct-to-consumer plan, is thinking about, you know, if I think about if a provider is going to be in-network or not, they have to provide access to care outside of that nine-to-five window, right? They have to provide virtual care. They have to be able to, you know, be open late, right? So that we can make sure that customers can actually seek that care but they're also providing ways to do um, self-triage, right, as a, a member or a patient, right, to determine, you know, what do my symptoms mean, right? Should I be seeking care in an emergent setting, like an ED or emergency department, or should I be, you know, doing a virtual care visit? Is that appropriate? And uh, as Oscar is an excellent example of uh, 
a health insurer who's doing things right, I think that what you'll see is that there is a broad movement across the industry to close the gap between the peripheries of our care delivery organizations uh, and where patients are when they're making these care delivery decisions. Uh, and that's because there is very real ROI for health insurer to close that gap and to influence place of service decisions by these consumers when they're making those choices. So if you look at other vendors in the space, we have Aetna, who is just recently partnered with Apple, uh, and that announcement comes with more than uh, a subsidized Apple Watch for their consumers. What you'll notice is that it also comes with a customized app on that watch uh, that's being fielded by Aetna to really engage their members uh, in a more digital, real-time manner. So the ROI here is that we have data that shows that 27% of emergency department visits could be safely and effectively handled in an urgent care center. And 58% uh, of retail clinic visits could be effectively handled in a telehealth visit or a nursing call line. Uh, so from a health insurer's perspective, providing more coordination across the entire continuum of care offers real financial uh, benefit and in addition creates a happier, more delighted consumer. Yeah, one of the things I noticed, and this, this happened to me, was so I have a friend of mine who's an executive at one of the one of the care areas and what he said was there is a direct relationship between the goodness of the communication and the cost structures of the business meaning it used to be that you had an appointment went this way or that way and then you sort of had to find the next step they found that if they engaged proactively that they actually reduced their overall cost structure and meaningfully so that there was the ROI because ROI on the cost side is so much more achievable than on the top line side they were saying, God, if I can fix these experiences, I can go a long way to reduce the unnecessary cost burden. Yes, yeah, so uh, an example that speaks right to that. Um, so Banner Health worked with Philips to do a remote patient monitoring program for their chronically ill population. These are um, patients that are seniors struggling with multiple chronic conditions and managing these. This tends to be the drivers of almost 50% of the overall cost of care nationally. Uh, so working with Philips Banner set up in a uh, remote patient monitoring program that engaged these patients daily. They sent them home with wireless blood pressure cuffs and glucometers and scales uh, and really started engaging them digitally around managing these chronic conditions more collaboratively. And they were able to reduce readmissions in that population by 75%, reduce the hospitalization and uh, days in hospital by 50%, and reduce the overall cost of care for that population by 35%. And that is uh, directly impacting the bottom line for organizations like Banner. So there's real financial incentive to, like we said, uh, go beyond the periphery of our care delivery organizations and start eroding that gap between where we're able to deliver care and where patients are when they most need that care and where they're making their care decisions. Uh, I'm astounded by those numbers. That's crazy. So is Banner Health... Are they structured differently? Like, what what about that situation made them be able to do that? I don't think this is anything that other like organizations can't do themselves. Banner Health is just approaching the problem with new ideas, new technologies, uh, and a sense of innovation. The underlying idea here is to erode the gap between the edges of our care delivery organizations and the places that patients are making care delivery choices. Uh, Banner is taking a aggressive stance on how they're going to do that to improve care for the patient 
uh, and improve overall well-being and reducing high-cost care centers. Kind of a unrelated question, but a related question. So in the last three years, I have gone through elder care processes, gone through cancer processes of family member. And the one thing that I can observe is there was not a conversation that I was in at any point in time where I had a free brain. At least half my brain was in worry mode. Like that, you only had a half a brain that was in, like I could think beyond, like I'm just worried. Like this is not a normal, this is not like retail where I'm thinking about getting the next shirt. This is in some places life and death and decisions that are put to a person for the first time that they really don't know the consequences of. How do they think of ex experience design or experience management in that kind of context? Sure. And I think, you know, again, you know, when we think about customer experience, right, we think about, you know, the three E's, right? So we have, um, you know, the, the E's, right, in terms of how easy is it for us to drive value from that experience, right? Thinking about the emotion that's invoked, right? To your point, you know, you have worry, Right, that is suddenly you know popping up for you in that experience, you know, and other you know things that a, a customer might be experiencing in healthcare is also frustration or annoyance with some of the process. Uh, if we think about some of the paperwork that we have to deal with to get things covered um, within health insurance, and then it's also thinking about the effectiveness, right? How effective was that experience, and making sure that as we think about the, the follow through from that experience. Is that customer going to recommend that same provider or that health insurer to their neighbor, to a family member? Um, and so I think those same key themes or you know, principles of CX carry through very much so uh, to healthcare, right? Maybe even more so because of that emotional context that you you reference, Victor. How does it work in terms of the relationship? meaning that this is a B to B to C in, in most cases, meaning I, the insurer, sell to the company who makes it available to the employees. So in essence, it's a captured audience. What's causing experience to be an economic point other than simply the cost reduction on the care and otherwise? Right. So to your point, for a very long time, the healthcare industry at large was employers negotiating with payers payers then in turn negotiating with providers. And the patients themselves, uh, when we go out and seek care, we were very much the widget moving along the conveyor belt. We were not a meaningful part of the conversation, not a meaningful influence on the underpinning economics, and really had very little influence on the supply and demand within the industries. I think you're seeing a few things changing in that regard. One is that outside industries are maturing. They're changing the expectation of consumers, and those expectations are being voiced to the employers who do have a stake in this game. Uh, the other thing that I think that you're seeing is that the individual markets, which had been non-existent for a very long time, are now creating an opportunity for organizations like Oscar Health to come in and really establish what a health insurance organization should look like and what a good consumer experience is uh, in that new market. And just to build on that, so, you know, Oscar, right, the, the example that we mentioned before, so Oscar Health is a direct-to-consumer product, right? So it's part of that individual market. It is selling directly to a consumer, and they are leading with that customer experience as a competitive differentiator for them, right? You also have Clover, which is a Medicare Advantage plan, doing the same thing, right, and trying to tailor those experiences to a, a more elderly population, right, that's 65 and older, uh, eligible for Medicare. And so you, you see these emerging 
provider of you know health insurance that are leading with that health, that patient experience, excuse me, that the customer experience. The other piece I would say is, you know, from the employer perspective, employers are frustrated because they're thinking about the fact that they have to pick up a good portion of the costs of covering that health insurance. You know, yes, the individual is on the hook for their deductible, their coinsurance and their copay, but there's a sharing of that cost, right? When you pay your premium, your employer is also paying part of that. And unfortunately, you know, there was a recent study that looked at how frequently employees actually use their benefits. And so 78% of employees do not appropriately use their benefits. And so if that's the case, right, that's leading to misuse of the health system. Um, and thinking about you know, use of urgent care, use of the ED, which is rising costs, not only for the health insurance industry as a whole, but also for that employer. Um, and then we're also, and as well as the employee. And then we're trying to think about, you know, how do we make sure that we redirect those employees and provide things that are easier to get that employee health care so that we reduce, you know, time taken off from work. Um, if we're thinking about days missed because they're sick or they have to leave because their kids are sick, right, and they can't get convenient access to care or, you know, days missed of, of work um, just to go to an appointment. Right. So another example of really how employers are influencing um, the marketplace in general is we have in data that shows that 88% of telehealth visits are actually net new visits, so increasing overall utilization. So introducing telehealth services does not reduce the overall per capita cost of care. It's actually a cost contributor. Uh, that being said, employers want it because employees want it, and you'll now find it on a majority of employer-focused health plans. The reason for that is because um, health plans need to differentiate. They need to attract employers and uh, sign those uh, plans, and in doing so, they're adding services like telehealth. Yeah, and a great example of this is Walmart. So just a couple of weeks ago, um, in early February, right, they announced that they were going to offer telehealth services for their employees at $4 a visit, right, which is an incredible discount on virtual care services, which typically are running anywhere from $25 a visit to $80 a visit, even without health insurance, depending on what you know, model you're looking at or what uh, vendor you're looking at uh, delivering that virtual care service. I was with a bank yesterday in Toronto, and they referred to that because they their assertion was this is the first overwhelming proof of someone asserting a purpose and then delivering on it in such a overwhelming way that they, it caused them to look back at kind of how they're fulfilling their purpose from sort of an economic impact standpoint. That was a, that has resonated across industries. I'm going to change topics slightly, maybe to the issues of wellness. We've talked about healthcare as sort of fixing something. Now there's a whole universe around wellness of how do I stay well, get, get increasingly well, and I actually don't need to see a doctor, but I want to participate in healthcare for those reasons. How is wellness being handled in this context? Uh, sure. So I think that wellness is becoming a uh, much more important topic, uh, especially to payers. I was on uh, a flight recently to a payer conference, and I happened to be sitting next to the CTO of Not Small Health Plan. Uh, <laughs> so the gentleman I was sitting next to had, uh, for almost the entire flight, where you were talking about ways that he can influence wellness. Uh, and his primary interest was influencing senior loneliness, uh, ways that he could start engaging in technology to pair seniors up either with uh, 
uh, virtual reality experiences or with um, local uh, college, out-of-town uh, college students that wanted someone nearby that they could bond with and pair with. Uh, and he was looking at really out-of-the-box opportunities to directly address senior loneliness. And I think that you're going to see uh, much more impetus on identifying those, finding the data trends to really measure those and identify those in the population, and then start eroding the uh, impact that a lack of wellness is having on overall healthcare spend. Yeah, and just to build on that, so when we think about the population today, right, and you think about where does the majority of the population sit, it's in that well band, right? So if you think about the population pyramid from population health, you know, the majority of your population is sitting at the, the bottom tier, right? They're well, they think that they're invincible, they're not necessarily thinking about what healthcare services should I be receiving or preventative care, even though we wish that they would. Um, the rising risk band, right, that next band up before you hit high risk, right, is where we see some of those prehypertensive patients, those that maybe are starting to develop a chronic condition and we're trying to keep them well, right, or trying to push them back into that lower band. And so, you know, we see a number of companies that are rushing to the market to try and help support this. You know, Jeff mentioned aging in place, right, or thinking about loneliness. Um, so Pillow Health, which is a, a group out of um, local here in Boston, but they're doing some work with AARP um, as well as some other uh, health insurers to try and determine how can we combat loneliness in this aging population, but also thinking about how do we engage the entire family, right? So they use facial recognition to recognize that it's this individual. You can start to you know administer medications. So it has a, a pill holder in the back of that product to be able to hold up to 15 pills every day right, so that can remind you, um, you know, hey, Ariel, it's time to take your blood pressure medication, and it can confirm that I took that medication, but it can also communicate back to a family member that's been approved to say, you know, Ariel took her blood pressure medication, right, or it can learn my routines and say, Ariel did not come down to the kitchen today, like she always does at 7 a.m., right, and we start to learn patterns um, of either the elderly population or individuals to make sure that we can do some of those checks right, and keep people at home um, or aging in place. And this is, you know, implications, I think, for even beyond the elderly population, right? And trying to make sure that we, you know, are capturing behaviors, right, of, of people in the home um, and really thinking about how do we tap into a connected health experience um, in terms of the devices that we already use and are, are part of our natural journeys today. Yeah, I'm not sure if there's another issue that may be more, not in the, not in the headlines, but front of mind, which is Elder care, how long can they stay in their home, the places that they know, or is it is a decision now on me to uproot them and place them in this sometimes sterile thing? It's an amazing amount of technology that's being available that was not available before, and you can feel the hard choices that have existed in the last 15 years. I mean, again, I went through this, and of all the things, like you know there's aging and stuff like that, is that decision of when when we move on that, you just really do want to responsibly keep them in their place of happiness as long as possible. And just to quickly build on that, you know, when we look at where the spend is coming from, or medical spend across your lifespan, right, the majority of it is coming from that end-of-life care or as you age. And so the more we can do to try and keep people out of a nursing home or assisted living facility, right, all the better, right, to try and save that cost. But it's also keeping them more connected to their community and to their family members, right? This is, you know, we also saw Best Buy getting into this game, right? Not a healthcare company, um, but purchasing, 
you know, another company to be able to, you know, build out assured living and build these monitoring devices so you can have a home advisor come to your home, look at everything that's you know, in place for you today as an elderly patient, install cameras and monitors, and make sure that it's building that connection to your family member so that, you know, that's a natural, you know, capture of your movement so that when, you know, your daughter calls to check in on you, right, the conversation changes from how are you feeling? Did you get out of bed today, right? It's, you know, moving back towards, you know, some of the interests that you have, right, and changing the conversation to get back to what those conversations were before, you know, maybe you were worried about mom and you feel like you had to constantly check up on her. From an Asian place perspective, we really had a demand for technology that's helping us keep seniors living at home for as long as possible for decades. I think it was the uh, early 90s that we started seeing the help I've fallen and I can't get up commercials um, coming across cable. And the technology is really matured and lockstep with other industries. And we have mature uh, technology solutions today to help seniors live longer in their homes. What hasn't matured at the same rate is managing their social lives. So what we're hearing now and seeing now is a real effort to curate a social experience that would be analogous to what you would have in a assisted living facility or a skilled nursing facility where we're not leaving it to you to fill your weekend schedule. Uh, we're doing outreach, getting involved, letting you know what's in your community that would be fun and aligns with your interests and getting you associated with a peer group that's out and about and living a happy, happy healthy social life. Uh, and there's a lot of effort um, building around that idea. And, and just to build on that and tie back to wellness, so I was you know, driving home yesterday, and I'm a, an NPR nerd, so I listen to NPR constantly. <laughs> but one of the stories they had yesterday was about CVS, right, and some of the work that they're doing to bring yoga into their stores. And so they were interviewing a number of seniors that were there to do yoga. And, you know, in the Houston area, this you know woman that was being interviewed, she said her doctor is probably 20 miles away, but she can walk to that CVS. And so she has that sense of community. And so it's been really interesting to see how these, you know, not necessarily new entrants to healthcare, but the way that we're transforming that healthcare experience are starting to tap into these some of these themes. But how do we help people age in place, but also tap into some of those community events like Jeff mentioned? So these healthcare insurers didn't grow up this way. This was not the biggest deal in the world. But you just ran through a set of examples that are probably revolutionary when you think of the last five to 10 years. When, when you speak with them about standing up CX, where are they in this continuum in their desires, ambitions, sense of future, whatever way you want to phrase that? I think it depends on who we talk to in terms of where they are in their journey. You know, certainly those that have been more, you know, leading in terms of leading with that vision of we want to build our service around a great customer experience like at Oscar Health, right? They tend to be more advanced. Um, now we have a number of legacy vendors, or, you know, excuse me, legacy you know, insurance providers you have these health insurance providers that are now saying we need to heavily invest in building a better customer experience, but they are still hampered by some of these antiquated tech stacks, unfortunately, right? To be able to truly do what Oscar Health has done, right? They don't have to worry about the fact that they have multiple systems that they now have to orchestrate where you have an EMPI for 
you know, a member that may be, so an electronic uh, master patient index or a unique identifier um, for a member, right? That might, you know, exist across multiple systems. You may have four different IDs for that member that also exist across multiple systems, depending on the product that that individual is in today versus what they were in historically. And so you now have to orchestrate that data management across all of these systems to make sure that you can truly deliver a you know, holistic experience that is built off of data and analytics. If that data is not clean and normalized to feed that experience or feed those analytics, you can't do that, you can't do that well. So neither of you used the R word, so regulations, because you hear that some of this goodness, some of this progress is, there's an artificial barrier called regulation. Does that come up as a perceived barrier or a real barrier? How do we process this in an, an industry that has been you know, fairly heavily regulated? Uh, I would say that regulation in the healthcare IT industry is actually pushing us in the right direction. Um, for a long time, uh, the industry was left to largely its own devices, and what resulted was an industry that uh, alienated the consumer uh, and allowed uh, big business to really negotiate the entire underpinnings of revenue. So now we have almost no price transparency for consumers. Uh, we have very little influence on the way that care is delivered to us as consumers. Uh, and regulation is slowly but surely eroding uh, that front. So we now have- well, Eroding in a good way. Eroding in a good way, yes. So we now have um, data sharing laws. So our providers need to give us electronic copies of our medical records so that we aren't stuck with just really the same provider group. We can go and seek care wherever we like. Just recently, uh, CMS announced that payers are going to be expected to comply with those same laws. So all of your claims data is now going to be available to you as well. Consumers themselves are getting access to much broader segments of their own data, and they are empowered by it. Price transparency laws are also being worked on so that we can start to understand before we go out and seek care what the anticipated cost of that care would be. I can't name any other industry where we would blindly go out and procure services that can run into the tens of thousands of dollars without any kind of foresight into what it would cost. The wedding, the wedding industry. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, no, the, what I like to compare it to, right, is if you were to walk to, you know, a car lot, right, and buy a BMW, you know, without knowing the cost, right, you wouldn't, you wouldn't do that in any yeah. other industry, <laughs> yeah. right? But in healthcare, you're just, that's expected. And we've all become complacent to some extent in saying, you know, that's how healthcare works. And now I think we see that rise of that empowered consumer that is saying, this isn't working for me anymore, right? I need my health insurer to provide, you know, more power to me as a member uh, and more power to me as a patient and as a customer of this industry to have that information. Um, and just to build on the comment that Jeff made here about the pricing transparency laws, you know, I think there's an opportunity for health insurers to play a role in that. So now charge masters are posted by hospitals and health systems across the US. They are mandated by CMS to post that information. That said, it's a charge, which is not necessarily correlate to what a member is going to pay for their health care. And so there is, I think, a responsibility on health insurers to help customers navigate this influx of information, right? So we need to make sure that we see more from health insurers in terms of what do I do with this information? What does this mean for me individually as a member for my health plan and the product that I'm on, um, as well as, you know, 
understanding, hopefully, and you know, more proactively before we go in for services, servicing that information to us as a member so that we don't walk in blindly, right, and buy the BMW not knowing how much it's going to cost. Yeah, I mean, and what you were saying in terms of having this data available to the consumer and that being a good thing, but I'm thinking as the consumer, that's overwhelming. How do I understand that information? You know, I just had a kid, like I'm getting all sorts of bills and surveys and things like, what am I supposed to do with all of this stuff? And should I be keeping these things? Or, you know, that's that's overwhelming. And to your point, someone needs to step up and help consumers understand what is important and what is not in that process. So to some extent, I think hospitals and health, health systems where they're required to post that information, right? They're fulfilling their requirements right, the um, from, from a regulatory perspective. And maybe they do play a role in making sure that, you know, customers or consumers understand that this is going to vary across health plans, right? This is not meant to be, you know, the end of the conversation, right? You need to talk to your health insurer. But I don't necessarily think it's on them to help every single member, right, navigate that that information or yeah. that data, right? The health insurer has to help that member. So this is a big, chunky topic, you know, over-the-top economic issues playing out, issues of wellness, the nature of our population. There's a lot, there's, this is probably one of the big issues of the day. And health and care, care insurers sort of sit at the center of the storm. So you're in a room now with an executive of a healthcare insurance firm. What one piece of advice do you give them as it relates to this topic? I would say that what consumers want isn't a mystery. We know what consumers want. Consumers want a real-time relationship with their insurers so that you can help them navigate the care continuum and help them have a more uh, fiscally-minded approach to seeking care. They want real-time clinical communications, help coordinating their own care and cost control. Build the digital experience that delivers that, and you will build the member experience that members want. And maybe somewhat related to that, I, I think health insurers need to tap into building that connected health experience, right? So there is a proliferation of data that is going to be captured through wearables, through IoT devices, through smart speakers, et cetera, right? That we are capturing about this customer, right? You, there's no lack of data to be able to maintain that real-time view of what's happening with that customer, but also being able to intervene and help them navigate their own healthcare journey. Right, so think about what your strategy is going to be in the future to make sure that you are tapping into those devices and into those journeys that a customer is already adopting and following. As it relates to wellness, I feel better after this podcast. But thank you both. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you. This was this fun. Is fun. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or TuneIn. And don't forget to leave us a review. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.